We have two scripture readings this morning. The first is from Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 14. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Our second reading is from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, Take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Yes, uh, I'll say good morning to myself. Good to see you this morning. Uh, Good to be together. It's always exciting in the beginning of September as we gather together and um, Uh, As you've seen some of the images on the screen, it is exciting times as our uh, facility now takes shape. And uh, just, uh, I I live in the neighborhood, so I intentionally drive by it on my way to the office. And um, it's, it's, it's so much fun to see the progress on a weekly basis now as the steel frame is going up. And in the coming weeks, the main floor would be poured and the slab on grade and all of that. And we'll start to kind of see what this uh, facility will look like. It is, of course, our prayer as a church that we won't wait for the completion of the building to be the church. And all God's people says, Amen. And this morning, I want to speak to us about what it actually means to be the church in a particular way. I think you would probably concede and agree with me that it is hard to be faithful as a Christian uh, given the culture within which we live. There are challenges on our time. There are challenges on our values. There are sometimes opposition, and sometimes we struggle to remain faithful and true to our Christian witness. Perhaps you would agree with me on that. But you probably will also agree with me that to be a Christian in community with other people, to live out this faith with others, can often even make the matter a little bit tougher. It ought not to be the case. In fact, the New Testament witness for us repeatedly in our text in Matthew's gospel, in all the gospels, in fact, in the New Testament itself, presents to us a Christian faith that is not just about me and Jesus. 
though that is important, though it is important that each and every one of us has a personal faith, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the New Testament paints for us a picture that we live faithfully as Christians together in community with one another. That the Christian faith is not just about my solitary faith, my solitary belief, but it is me and my relationship with God as well as with others. The truth that Matthew's gospel reveals to us this morning is that sometimes living out our faith in community can be difficult. It is challenging at times to find ways to be faithful as Christians on our own, but when we get together with other people, sometimes it becomes even more difficult. Now, I have to be honest with you, when I selected the text, which is the lectionary text, which I'm preaching throughout the year, every Sunday will follow one of the lectionary readings, I said to myself, I don't really like this as an opening text for when people are kind of gathering themselves back. Let's talk about sin in the church. Let's talk about how to relate to one another. Let's talk about what it means to be disciplined. None none of us appreciate those conversations, though as parents, perhaps some of us here would agree that we understand how important it is to do those things in relation to our children. But this morning, as I enter into the season of preaching with you, I want to challenge you to hear the hope in the scripture. I want to uh, perhaps challenge prevailing perspectives on the church. I find that most Sundays when I preach here, I'm preaching to the already converted. Most of you are church people. Most of you have been around the church. Some of you, and I won't mention names, Gary Henderson, have been around the church much longer than my actual existence in this world. (laughs) I'm just picking on Gary. We're really good friends. Uh, Some of us understand the rhythm and the the means of doing church. And and sometimes we, we probably would say, you know, Stu, there are times where it just kind of feels like we're just going through the motions. Can I get an amen? Uh, religious decline in Canada would suggest that there's a, it's, it's symptomatic of something deeper, that, that somehow uh, the, the, the gift of who the church is has sometimes, uh, I think, diminished in the heart of Christians. And, and there's the sense in which we have settled for far less than what Christ invited his disciples to become. And I want to suggest to you this morning that not only does the New Testament encourage us not to consider our faith just me and Jesus, but invites us to see the riches of being in community with one another, in relationship with one another, in such a way that it reveals our true faith to the world. In the Gospel of John, we read a new command I give unto you, that you would love one another By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. The very heart of the gospel reveals that God is made known in the relationships we have with those who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. For however much we can talk about evangelism and reaching out and changing our communities, one of the most profound ways that God is revealed into this culture and into our world is the way in which we as followers of Jesus choose to treat one another. Now here we are, a diverse community. May I add, you all look great this morning. Thanks for dressing up. I've seen some of you during the week, and it is a step up from what I've seen. Oh, you're a tough crowd this morning. 
If you don't laugh, I just keep trying, and that's never good. There's a sense in which our diversity, whether it be socioeconomically or whether it be because of where we come from, what we've done, our occupations, and so on, make us all distinct and different people. And I think there's this, 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 this misnomer sometimes that we have that, that in the church we'll come and we'll all just be okay with one another because we're all Christian. You know, it's kind of like when you, when you meet somebody and you fall in love and you decide to get married, you say to yourself, we love each other and love is all we need. No. Sorry, guys, I know you're engaged. <laughs> we are yet to learn what it means to love. We are learned to, yet to learn what it means to become the people of God. And I, I commit to you that, that, that as a pastor, I, I struggle with what that means personally, but within the community of faith uh, that I've journeyed now with into my ninth year with you, I've come to realize that to be a part of a community of faith is not only to walk with people that you agree with, but at times to find yourselves having hard conversations. Sometimes we don't see things the same way. Sometimes we come from different perspectives. And instead of running when we have discord amongst one another, the biblical witness tells us that it is essential that we learn how to live faithfully as Christians in relationship with one another and even in times of disagreement or failure or sin. The strength of the Christian community is not in the absence of conflict, but in the resource it has to deal with it. The strength of the church is in the ability not to make us all more than, uh, you know, we, we, we think we ought to be in some ways, but to, say, to, to, to teach us, to instruct us. That it is a way in which we can learn to forgive, can learn to be reconciled for the sake of the other. You see, our text this morning may appeal to those amongst us who likes to put people straight. You know, if you're one of that people that just likes to put people straight, you preach this text on its own. You got a problem? I'm going to come and talk to you about it, Luke. And if you don't listen to me, I'm going to bring Uncle Joel. And if you don't listen to Uncle Joel and I, I'm going to bring your whole youth group. And then if you don't listen, we're going to kick you out of the church and treat you like a pagan and a tax collector. There's a way in which you can read Matthew that makes you feel like discipline is for the sake of discipline. But I want to suggest to you that the only way to understand the scripture is to understand the whole text within which it is located. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus challenges the perspectives of his disciples by teaching them what it means to be in this new kingdom together. The disciples have this perspective of what status sees, what it means to be a person that follows Jesus. And in their current circumstances, stay with me for a moment, in their Greco-Roman world, they had a lowered status. They were not considered as anything special. So Jesus comes along and teaches that there's this kingdom that has now come. There's a new way of living. It's going to eventually be birthed as the church. And so you are all a part of it. And the first question that is asked in Matthew chapter 18 is, well, if that's the case, then who is the greatest in this new kingdom? You see, the question that the disciples ask is a question of status. It based upon the prevailing cultural understanding that your birth mattered, where you come from mattered, your family mattered, your title mattered, how much wealth you had mattered, and how you would relate to others was determined by such status. 
Jesus would challenge this perspective, this way of thinking about the kingdom, that if I may be as bold to suggest this, that some of us need our perspectives on what the church is to be challenged as Jesus challenges the perspectives of the kingdom for his disciples. And instead of giving them this long diatribe and and, and, and explanation, Jesus brings before them a little kid. He points to a child and he says, unless you become like a child, can you enter this kingdom? Now, when we hear this, in fact, Jesus uses the word, unless you humble yourself like this little child, can you enter the kingdom? When we hear this, we hear the word humble as this inner disposition of humility. But when Jesus uses the word humble as a little child, he is challenging the disciples to consider that children who were considered weak, irrational don't say amen, parents, and possessing little status until they reach adulthood in biblical times, were becoming the very example of what it means to participate in the kingdom of God. That what Jesus was teaching his disciples is, if you hold on to the conventions of power and status as you once have, you cannot participate in this kingdom unless you have your perspective changed, will you be able to actually find your place in God's community. Now, there are perspectives that many of us carry based upon our church experience. I can share many of you that are good ones that I carry till this day, but many that have been challenged in subsequent years of being in the church. Sometimes one of the hardest things to concede the older you get in life is that perhaps the way you thought about something was wrong. Perhaps one of the biggest challenges in being in the church for many years is that we may not grasp what the true gift of the church is for those who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In equating children as inhabitants of the kingdom, Jesus points out that in this new kingdom reality, previous ways of thinking about power are no longer relevant. You see, to be a part of the community of faith is to say no to the perspectives that the world says is how you govern human relationships. It is to recognize that under the lordship of Jesus Christ, when we confess Jesus as Lord, here there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, barbarian or Scythian, but Christ is all and is in all. Here there is no good-looking colored South Africans and Saskatchewan-born hockey players. Pray for the Saskatchewan-born hockey players. Here there is no preference given except the humble disposition to know that in the kingdom, what makes us participant is recognizing the one who has invited us to be a part of it not on account of our own doing. But Jesus challenges not only the perspectives, prevailing perspectives on status, but he, he highlights the significance of what it means to care about others. He tells the story of one sheep that runs off. You heard the story? And economically this hurts. For those of you who are numbers people, for those of you people who are secure people, many of us are, We want to know that things are okay. 
I like people like that. I need people like that around me. (laughs) This story is a hard story to hear because Jesus tells the story this way. He says, there's one sheep who runs off and the shepherd does the unthinkable. He runs after the one. And we go, really, 99, stay here. (laughs) Care for the 99 here. Why would you risk the 99 and follow the one? You see, when I read that text, I I, I learn something about the heart of God in a different way. The point is not that the 99 does not matter. The point is this, that everyone matters, and what's more significant, that the one belongs with the 99. Do you see that the point in the story is this, that the shepherd seeks to restore not only the lost one from their waywardness, but to restore it to the flock. You see, on your own, out there, it's pretty vulnerable. You're very vulnerable. You see, Christians who go it alone by themselves says, you know, it's just Jesus and I, you know, the, the, the rest of the church are a bunch of hypocrites, aren't they? Ooh, am I preaching too harshly? Uh, you know, I, I still, you know what, I've been around the church so long, you know, the church, the church, the church, the church, the church, you know, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you know, not us, of course, right? Not us sitting here. You know, some other people say that, right? But you know, when, when the shepherd goes after the one, the shepherd has this heart. He says that I know that on your own, you are more susceptible to things. I want to return you. Where's the shepherd going? To bring back to the flock. You see, I think there's something significant that the gospel challenges in our Western understanding of Christianity. Our Western perspective of Christianity is often rooted in the individual pursuit of spiritual formation and growth and emphasis on the self. And yet what we often miss in the biblical text, in the witness of the gospels itself, is that God has given us not only his son Jesus Christ and the gift of his Holy Spirit, but he has given us one another so that we would live out this faith together. Boy, I tell you what, I need you more than I care to admit at times. I need you in my life, not because you will save me, but because you bring to my life that which I need to live faithfully in the ways of Jesus Christ. Throughout biblical history, throughout history in general, the church has operated as a community of faith that seeks to strengthen the collective faith of the individual. We need the church to be the church. And you know, to be a part of the church is not to Mickey Mouse around with what it means. When we hear the word shepherd, we all think nice, cuddly little sheep. Or the gentle hands of a good, shearing, wise shepherd. But shepherds in the Old Testament, shepherds throughout biblical history were were people of courage, people who protected, provided, and guided, people who pursued and and did what they needed to do ensure that the flock would be protected. You see, the image of the shepherd in the Bible is one of robust care, of courage, of faithfulness. And when Jesus paints for us a picture of the shepherd that pursues the one, I want to suggest to you this morning, I don't know where you are in your own journey with Jesus Christ, but boy, do I know this. He desires for you not to go it alone. And it is so easy to do that. It is so easy for me just to be about me, and perhaps that's another message, and so let me continue. And so as he emphasizes the need for the community 
the need for this, the sheep to be returned, he turns to the community that is being formed before him, and he talks about what do you do when someone strays. Now, I want to make this very clear to us. Sometimes when we take scripture out of context, we say some very hurtful things. I think that it is very important that when you read this text, you don't simply assume that it's just about discipline. I've given you the perspective that I think the gospel teaches that the heart of the shepherd is about restoration. Uh, The only way to understand Matthew 18 is to understand that that's what's going on here. You see, the Gospels are very true. They're very honest. They depict life as it is. The early church had its struggles, and so do churches today. Not Skyview, of course. We're sanctified, saved, and delivered. And God, through the scriptural witness, teaches us that times are going to come where we need to figure out how to help and live out the shepherd Im- image in the church. Uh, there are times in which the church has to behave in certain ways, certain ways because they, they see the danger of the one slipping away and they have the heart of the shepherd to want to reconcile them. And I'm just going to offer a few thoughts on this one with, and with this I'll close. That the point of the discipline here is for the sake of the individual but it is also for the witness of the community. And so, Leanne and I have a dispute. She commented that my clothes don't match, (laughs) and I look pretty shabby every Sunday, and I need to get it together. (laughs) And she goes to Jonathan, and Jonathan agrees, where two or three are gathered in his name, and says... And I go over to, I hear about this because, you know, she's told Stacy, and then Stacy says, dude, did you hear what, did you hear what the hoopers are spreading about you? (laughs) They think you're close to falling apart. So I go over to Leanne, I call her up, I say, Leanne, let's meet at a coffee house, you know, a coffee, uh, uh, Starbucks, you drink Starbucks? And, And I sit down with Leanne, are you still tracking with me? This is the scripture being made life, folks. This is how it happens. And, and so uh, I go to Starbucks with Leanne and I say, Leanne, you know, I heard, I heard that you said I am falling apart at the seams. Is it true? Leanne looks me square in the eye and says, where did you hear that? Hmm. She's not willing to concede what was going on. And so I go and I, I, I say, Stan, uh, You are closest I can come to a shepherding metaphor here amongst us. (laughs) Come with me. We got to talk to Leanne. So the two of us go and we uh, we go to Leanne. So Leanne, uh, Stan and I here are back with you because you said some things that you need to repent from. And Leanne says, you know, why don't you just buy some more chocolate and let's talk about some other stuff. So Stan and I leave and we have a little bit of a meeting and Stan says, well, let's bring in the board. Now we're getting serious. The board comes, representative of the church community, and Leanne just digs in and says, I never said so, no such thing. And then I get to do this. I pull out of my back pocket the manual of the Church of the Nazarene. And I say, because you have failed to humbly confess your sins, I now excommunicate you 
and treat you like a pagan and a sinner you are, leave. You know, uh, it's funny, right? The, the, the retelling of that in that context is funny. But do you know that at the heart of bringing people to the person is restoration? In fact, the reason you bring another person is not so that you can strengthen your accusation. is so that the person can have no false accusation made against them. Did you know that the reason, according to Deuteronomy, even in the Old Testament, which sometimes is hard to read and understand, that the reason you invite the community in is that justice would prevail. The reason you involve the church, the reason you involve more people is because you care about the individual that much. And by the way, when it says treat them like a pagan and a tax collector, I do think that sounds very harsh. And, and sometimes Jesus just says things the way it is. Here's how we as Canadians hear that. Man, he's so harsh. Why treat them like a pagan and a tax collector? Well, here's my response. Very simply, Pert. Oh, grace has been given, hasn't it? Opportunity has been given. And by the way, the way pagans and tax collectors are treated in the gospel of Matthew by Jesus is with great grace and respect and love. And so when I read church discipline like this, I read it not as something that we do so that we can get our way with people, but it's something that is done so that people would be restored to God and to one another. And I suggest to you this morning, as the church of God, That to be in community and to go deep with one another is not about knowing every person here. It's not about some of the things that we've said it is to be. But it is about having discerning eyes to know that there's ways in which God is present with the church, in particular in moments where they seek to be restorative. And when the church seeks to be redemptive. You see, I believe... And I can talk about the binding and the loosing. Isn't that just really curious scriptures? (laughs) You know, Uh, I love verse 20 in particular. Verse 20 says something like this, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. You know, we abuse that scripture, don't we? You know, so maybe Stan and I get together and we pray about Leanne and we say, if we agree, then God's going to bring down the thunder, right? Or perhaps we frame it more positively. If we just agree about something and we pray together, God will do it. Uh, The only way to understand that text, if I can be as bold as to suggest this to you, is to understand that, again, the context of community is prevailing in the text. What Jesus is teaching is when two or three are gathered in my name and you're praying about restoration and you're seeking the well-being of others and you're trying to bring people back in, I am assuredly present when church acts that way. And so... Oh, I don't know what the future holds for us. But I pray that we would perhaps have a transformation in how we look at one another. You know, I never like having hard conversations. Do you? I never like addressing when there is conflict. No one of us does, but... You know, I've seen when the church does not have restoration in mind, what it can do. And I've seen the impact that it can have on many people. Many people along the way now, uh, you know, not connected to the church at all, will look back to moments in which perhaps the restorative nature of the gospel was lacking in what had happened in relationships with other believers. There are many people today who cannot step in the church because the church has hurt them. And yet today I want to suggest to you that perhaps we need to get over a naive perspective of the church that suggests it's about happy-go-lucky and everybody's fine. But it is a place through which God by His grace 
seeks to restore the wayward amongst us. And he does so through people like you and me. Over the years, I've had a few people step into my experience and journey and call me aside. Not often, but it has happened often enough to keep me humble. And say to me, I'm really concerned about something. You know what my initial reaction is? It's kind of what my 15-month-old Labrador Retriever does. She gets her hackles up. You know what hackles are? Is that the right word? Hackles. If you don't know what it means, well, you're not as smart as I, obviously. (laughs) But you know, when people call me out or when people challenge me, there's a couple of things that I've learned about it. One, can I trust the integrity of the person that they have my best interest at heart? You know, I've met far too many people who want to call other people out because it makes them feel good. Because the agenda is not ultimately the restoration of the individual, it's about getting their way. And I think, I think that for us as a community of faith, you need to, and maybe I'm giving myself permission with you as a community of faith to do this, I really feel like I want to step into that world a little bit more with you. Not just for your sake, but for my sake. You know, I, I know that as a pastor, I can't possibly have the relationship with each one of you here that I'd like to have. But what happens when we start somewhere with that kind of intentionality, that kind of desire to be faithful to the Jesus that has given his life for us, and we start to, start to become intentional with one another? What if God puts in your heart this morning a, a person, uh, puts on your mind a person that perhaps you are to be the one to, to go to? I, I, I've never preached a message on this before, but I, I just realize now how I need to do that more in my own life. But what if God is, is just nudging you right now to have the courage to behave with hope and restoration in mind? What if God is challenging us? Some of us may be the one that feels like the sheep that has taken a walk. Oh, this community, if it is like anything like the heart of the shepherd, is waiting (laughs) to embrace. Waiting for the place to be filled that has been left vacant. You know, to be the church is not easy. I mean, if we, if we, you know, reduce church to Sunday mornings and singing songs and maybe the pastor can preach a good message for us. But if it what it means, according to Jesus, to love as God loves us, then the measure of the church is directly tied in to our love for one another. so that the world may know that we belong to Him. Let us pray. Father, I thank You that Your Word is true for us and at times convicting. We, as followers of You, understand that we are tempted to... uh, 
to at times hide from one another, at times go it alone. There are times where it is hard for us to enter hard places because we fear rejection and judgment. And yet, Father, the church has the assurance that where we gather with this in heart and mind, you are with us. We don't think that way. We don't think that you show up in hard places or when there's disagreements or when there's problems or where there's sin. But your word would make it very clear to us that you come to us. And you're present with the church when the church does this work of reconciling. May your grace be sufficient. May your power be made perfect in our weakness. And may we reveal who you are in our love for one another. In Christ's name, amen. Would you join me as we enter a time of prayer for our world, our country, our city, and our church? Friends in Christ, God invites us to hold the needs of our sisters and brothers as dear to us as our own needs, loving our neighbors as ourselves. We offer thanksgivings and our petitions on behalf of the church and the world. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. We think of those affected by Hurricane Irma, residents of the Caribbean islands, Texas, and now Florida who are faced with the loss of property and loved ones. We pray that in the midst of chaos, all would sense the peace of God and know that he is still the reigning king. We pray that he would calm the wind and the waves and protect his children from disaster. We pray especially for our churches and missionaries serving in these areas, that they would be your hands and feet, Lord, to bring good news in times of trouble. We think of the western states that are battling multiple wildfires. We pray for the families that have been evacuated and the responders fighting the blaze. We pray that their needs would be met and that they would find rest in this chaotic time. We think also of the people of Myanmar, where one, a mon, one month ceasefire has just been declared by rebel forces in order to allow humanitarian aid access to the people. We pray that God would bring true peace to this situation, and that his love would cover this land and this hurting people. We turn our prayers to our nation. For our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, for our Premier, Rachel Notley, and for all in authority, let us pray to the Lord. We pray for those affected by the wildfires in B.C. May God's hand also be upon them as they deal with loss and uncertainty. We pray for peace, rest, and hope for all affected. For our city, Calgary, we pray for the poor and the oppressed, for the unemployed and the destitute, for prisoners and captives, and for all who remember and care for them. Let us pray to the Lord. We pray for our Skyview Church community. For our pastor, his wife, Ruth Ann, and children, Lauren, Luke, and Alana, be present in their home, at their work, and in their classrooms. Let us pray to the Lord. We lift up our ministry leaders that they may receive wisdom and guidance for their respective roles. We pray for the development and construction happening on our land, 
for the construction workers, we pray for safety, that they would know God is present there. We pray for the property committee, that they would receive energy and encouragement for all their weekly time commitment. We pray also for our children and youth, that they would understand more fully the love of Jesus and would desire to serve him wholeheartedly and unapologetically. May they be Christ's ambassadors in their schools and among their friends. Hear our prayers, God of power, and through the ministry of your Son, free us from the grip of the tomb, that we may desire you as the fullness of life and proclaim your saving deeds to all the world. Amen. Amen.